Welcome to Teachers Care Society, the podcast that talks about all news and development in the educational field. We have a good show for you today as I'm joined by Cindy Ma, a student teacher from Fullerton, California, as we'll be discussing incorporating multi-sensory learning strategies in the classroom and all the benefits of hands-on learning. We'll also be discussing how technology can supplement interactive learning. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Welcome back. Today's guest is Cindy Ma, a student teacher from Fullerton, California. So just uh, what are the past 36 hours? It's been been crazy. So first of all, how are you doing? Hi, Albert. I'm doing so well. (laughs) I'm really thrilled to be a part of this podcast. It's actually my first time ever doing a podcast. So I was a little (laughs) nervous, but mostly excited. Uh, I'm doing well. Obviously, student teaching in a pandemic has a lot of unique challenges, especially with juggling the kids in class and and the kids at home, but it's been a great experience. I wouldn't change being out of the classroom or for the world. And then, I mean, for all those listeners out there, so, I mean, none of us ever expected teaching during a pandemic. And I mean, for those listeners out there, you are doing in-person teaching, right? Yes. So in my school district, we are offering a hybrid model. So parents have the choice of either bringing their students in class or having them learn from home. So we need to accommodate both students. So some students are learning from home while while at the same time, students are learning in class at the same time. So we're basically live streaming our class and instructional minutes to our kiddos at home. So it's been very challenging juggling both, but it's been a great experience as well. I feel like I'm really (laughs) professional with technology now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, has any, uh, has either any teachers or any students made a joke about, oh, yeah, you know, you're a, you're a YouTube streamer or a YouTube uh, content creator with all that uh, (laughs) live streaming in the classroom? Not really those kind of jokes, but I'm always having comments like, oh, Miss Ma, you're on mute. So (laughs) being on mute gives me a little bit PTSD. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, yeah, so even going back to like this craziness that's happening, not only the pandemic, but also, you know, with the elections. And I hope you've been uh, having a lot of self-care. I hope you, you know, had a lot of me time to Mm de-stress. What is it that you do to help uh, alleviate all this tension, all this stress from, from teaching? Um, well, I usually dedicate at least one day on the weekend just to like not do any schoolwork or like open my emails. And usually it's Saturdays. And I also um, really care about my health. So I would exercise frequently. I indoor cycle as a hobby. So going to those classes just gives me a chance to like de-stress. I also like planning dates with like my boyfriend. I would think that's fun just to like relax and take a break from the computers and whatnot. I also have two puppies. So I love enjoying time with them, training them, playing with them. And yeah, I think self-care is really important. I tend to overwork myself a lot, but I'm trying really hard just to take a breather and really take care of myself before diving into something overwhelming. And I think it's been really helping that I'm dedicating one day at least on the weekends for myself. <laughs> you said you, uh, you and your boyfriend do a lot of uh, planned date nights. We try to. Usually we're like, want to be in bed by like 10, <laughs> but we try to. Um, we're going I... to like 
I think we have like an LA date next week on Veterans Day, which I'm looking forward to. So we try. <laughs> I, I hope he does the planning because, you know, you're teaching and you're planning the whole weekday. So I hope he does, you know, he does that planning part himself to give you a break. <laughs> yes, he better. <laughs> <laughs> so for, from my understanding, you used to, you, you taught preschool for many years. I mean, how was that? It was very different than what I'm doing now. Um, I graduated at Cal State Long Beach. I had a degree in child development. And from there, I worked in the preschool um, and early childhood education kind of field. So I was working with really young kids from like zero to five. And we were teaching them some academic stuff. But I feel like for the most part, we were just <laughs> playing and really learning those skills, like social skills and all those little things. So it's been, it was really different. And I do miss the little ones. But being able to have this elementary experience is more worthwhile for me and a little more rewarding. Just the little things I think about knowing that going to elementary was the right path for my career. But I do miss the preschoolers. It was really fun um, crawling on the carpet all the time and singing <laughs> little songs. But I'm glad where I am now. Uh, that's cute. And then, I mean, just for the listeners out there, so what grade are you uh, with right now then? So right now I'm currently teaching second graders. Oh, okay, okay. Second grader. Okay. And so, I mean, you decided to make the you know, the big move from preschool to elementary school. Um, yeah, and second graders. I mean, besides, uh, you know, a few years, a few grades difference. Um, is it really that big of a difference or no? I think it's as big of a difference. I was actually kind of thinking about this the other day, just because in preschool, there's like so many little things I had to do. Like, for example, um, the ratio is one adult to every 12 kids. And we always had to walk them to the restroom and we couldn't um, turn our back against them. Our eyes always had to be them with revision. And I was just kind of thinking about that is like not the same here with my second graders. Like they're still young, but they're a lot more independent. I don't have to like watch them all the time. They kind of know how to navigate through their work and do a lot of things on their own, which is kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I used to work with, uh, with little ones, I think like <laughs> kindergartners and they, uh, they constantly asked for praise. Like whenever uh, I was modeling something, they would say like this, like this, like this, that constant, uh, reinforcement that constant praise they want from the teacher. And I always thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're very needy. <laughs> and so I guess, so yeah, even your first semester of student teaching was a five, six combo class. Um, am I right about that? Was it a five, six combo class? Yes, it was five, six combo. Okay. You got to tell me more about that. How was that? <laughs> It was actually a really good experience just because that was my first student teaching placement, um, especially coming out uh, in a career in preschool. So I was working with a lot older kids. So I was kind of nervous at first, but I ended up really loving that grade. And what was even more unique about my experience was I was in a newcomer combo class, meaning all these students are ELs or English learners, and they're all from out of the country. So I learned a lot about English language development and how I can support these students as they accommodate into the mainstream classroom. So it was a really rewarding experience. And I also student taught with these students all over Zoom virtually. And even though we weren't really meeting face to face every day, day, it felt really great to be able to see their faces on Zoom. And I just remember my last day student teaching there, they're all like crying and they make cards for me. So I had a really good experience with the upper grades. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> and I mean, so yeah, like right now we're in the month of November. This is where we're recording this episode and yes. we're getting closer to the holidays. And now that I know you're teaching in person, do you like you know, jazzing up your classroom a bit? 
Uh, we try to. My mentoring teacher tried to incorporate some holiday activities. It's just because it's a kind of an equity issue. Since we do have students learning from home, they can't really have the materials or do the projects that we would do with the kids in class. So we try to. I mean, for Halloween, I did read a festive book every day, which they really enjoy. And I know Thanksgiving is coming up. So I might do a little project um, to encourage students to think what they're thankful for in a way that both students in class and at home can do. But as for jazzing up the classroom, we haven't really done too much of that. We didn't even have a Halloween parade this year um, due to the the pandemic. So it's been a little hard to incorporate that for the kids. Yeah. And I know some teachers, like they still try and jazz up uh, their digital classroom. They try, you know, you have all the different backgrounds, the Zoom backgrounds and you know, try and jazz up their, their Google Classroom or whatever uh, learning management system that they use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's always fun. <laughs> so before we jump in, let's let's quickly go over the different types of learning styles that we have. So we have visual learners who you know, learn with pictures, diagrams, photos, etc. We have auditory learning who they learn well with just recordings or sitting in a classroom lecture and just absorbing everything like a sponge. You have online presentations like audiobooks. The other type of learning is uh, read slash write learners who prefer reading the context and just taking notes about it. And then our last one is kinesthetic learners, which learn by doing is a touch and they're active learners. So um, am I uh, am I missing anything about a multi? Uh, did I miss anything? No, I think you got everything all. You kind of named all the techniques that students can engage with. Obviously, there's endless opportunities for students to find what is best for them, whether they be a tactile learner or kinesthetic learner. So, yes, I really like how multisensory techniques give students a lot of opportunities to engage in the material in a way that makes sense for them. So, yes, you got everything. OK, so with hands on learning uh, I think it's a I think it's a combination of all four essentially so mm-hmm. with with hands-on learning so first of all so you have like the multi-sensory learning so the best way to describe this is the type of learning which the children again learn by doing and I think it incorporates all five senses so instead of just a simple lecture um, whether it's auditory um, or text or visual learning with hands-on learning there are you can have the students essentially creating something or trying to solve a problem and we want them to explore a concept through these hands-on activities and you know the best thing about this hands-on learning is that it can pretty much be applied to every subject it doesn't have to be you know the typical ones where you think all right hands-on learning can only be science you know volcano or something like that or hands-on learning can only be math with the countings or the manipulatives sometimes you do have to be a little bit more creative when you try and incorporate hands-on learning with other subjects like uh, ELA or history where it's not necessarily come it doesn't necessarily come as easy for everyone um, some quick examples that I know for, for math again is a manipulatives um, for example for my kiddos I have the TK1 so we use mm-hmm. uh, money manipulatives so play coins play money um, so essentially getting the getting them to feel and handle money because you know when you play with use play money they all they all feel the same, but when I'm having them handle actual real money, they see, oh, you know, this one's actually heavier than the other ones. And so there's that whole hands-on learning aspect that I like. Mm-hmm. So yeah, last week I did the coins and I had the adults in the household giving them the pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters. I had them identify. Uh, and then a week after that, we focused on currency value. And yeah, you can see how teaching money can be difficult if we're just using images and there's no hands-on experience itself. So if I didn't have it and this just use the images, 
it'd be a lot harder to teach. It'd be something more abstract, um, just displaying an image on a, on a tablet or on a Chromebook. Mm-hmm. So again, students wouldn't be able to see the different sizes. So like a nickel and a quarter might look the same. And so that that's where the hands-on learning comes in play. It's uh, really get students to explore and see for themselves. Like, oh, look, this one's shaped like this. Oh, this one's rough. This one's smooth. This one's heavier than the other ones. How was, uh, I mean, Cindy, for you, how was your experience growing up with hands-on learning? Was that, uh, was there a favorite activity or lesson that you had? Well, first of all, I really like your coins activity. I, n- I never really thought that you can just use your senses and have students tell you which coin was heavier and how they feel. So that was really awesome. But Unfortunately, growing up, I don't really remember too much hands-on activities. I just remember doing a lot of things on paper and pencil, which is obviously less memorable and Mm -hmm. not as engaging, unfortunately. I feel like a lot of the hands-on learning decreases as students get older because I do remember using a lot of manipulatives and materials when I was in the primary grades, especially doing math. But unfortunately, when I got older, like in fourth, fifth and sixth grade, everything was basically done on paper and pencil. And I feel like that's when I really start to struggle with some of the (laughs) concepts. So I think it's important that students of all ages still get those opportunities to engage in hands-on learning. It could be beneficial for older students just as much as younger students. So unfortunately, not a lot of memories, but I would love to create those memories for my students now. <laughs> yeah, you bring up a good point. It doesn't have to be just for for little ones. I mean, hands-on learning is a benefit for all students of all ages, you know, of all abilities. And I think that's yes. something that often you know, gets overlooked. Sadly, yes, for sure. Now, I'm just going to throw this out there. This is, uh, I guess, like the scientific part about the the podcast. But like multi-sensory learning uh, environments that help stimulate the brain, you know, particularly the cognitive development. So. Let's go. So we have the somatic part of the brain, which deals with tactile learning. Then we have the vestibular system, which deals with kinesthetic learning, promoting the body memory. Then we have the olfaction, uh, olfaction systems, providing that strong sensation that remains you know, strongly connected to the information that's associated with. But with multisensory techniques, we stimulate all these sensory systems and different parts of the brain that help improve listening, movement, visual, tactile recognition, and uh, conceptualization as well. So again, this all ties into Gardner's theory about the multiple intelligence that we have, where everyone has different uh, proficiencies and different types of intelligence. So that was a a quick recap for those who uh, took uh, early child development classes in their (laughs) universities or college. So when uh, when getting to know your students, like what's one of the first things that, you know, one of the first things that I try to do is just try and figure out what type of learner they are. Um, Every student has different abilities. They learn best to different types of situations. Mm-hmm. And that's why I try to figure out, you know, from day one, all right, Tommy works best with this or Cindy works best with this. And so that's, that's what I try and do, trying to get input, not only from the students, but also input from the parents. Do you have a similar process as well? Yes. So I think it's definitely important to know what kind of learners your students are. Some may prefer visual um, interpretations while others prefer like a tactile experience. So for me, I kind of try to get to know the students. I observe them when they're doing their work and kind of see like what kind of style they would mostly benefit from. Because a lot of my students in my classroom, they love to draw. So I know for those students, I definitely want to incorporate a lot of visual activities as well as tactile experiences where they can use pencil or color pencils or any coloring utensils to create their product. 
I also have a lot of students that are really into slime. Um, two students <laughs> wrote about slime on their Google Docs. So for those students, I would definitely love to incorporate an activity where they can use their hands and kind of use their senses to manipulate the materials. So maybe like making Play-Doh as a science experiment would be super fun for them. So yeah, so for me, most of my... Um, Getting to know my students is through observations and just getting to know them, having that conversation with them, seeing how they work in the classroom is the, the way it works for me when getting to know them. So, yes, I agree. There's so many different learners in my classroom. It's great to see which students prefer which style than the other. Yeah. And yeah, that's good. Yeah. Learning, you know, getting to know your students, what kind of learner is, you know, absolutely important. I'm not going to, you know, give strictly you know, aud- auditory lessons, you know, strictly to the student that. If, if I know it's not going to work for them, it's just, you know, I'm only putting them in a situation where they're going to fail. So you need to learn and know what kind of uh, styles your students work best with. Yes, definitely. And again, so you know, I teach the TK1, so I got the little one. So, for example, I just did a high frequency words uh, lesson. And so I, instead of I, we use a lot of what's called like flashcards. So I had some students create their own flashcards. I had them write down the words and then. Then I guess they're also working on their fine uh, and gross motor skills, having them cutting and cut the lines out, cut the flashcards out. So that works out as well with that. And then you know, pre-COVID, uh, for high frequency words, we had students uh, spell words with, you know, in sand or use shaving cream or even like sandpaper letters. So in the whole multi-sensory learning to help them understand how to spell these words, you know, how to write these words. And so that's always neat. Um, yeah. I know we talked earlier, it's like the usual hands-on learning that we have for math and science, like the manipulatives or all the experiments. Um, what are some of the most creative ways that you have seen or even maybe you yourself have incorporated hands-on learning? Well, for me, I know I've incorporated in the past magnetic alphabet letters. It's always super fun because students just they just seem to be very engaged in like the whiteboard and then the magnet. So I would have students spell um, high frequency words out of using magnetic letters and then we would practice sounding it out. And we can even go over letter sounds and specific digraphs using alphabetic letters. So I think it's really fun to see the students manipulate the magnets. I've also had um, a few songs on dancing to the alphabet. So the students would create <laughs> alphabets um, with their body. And it's always a good mental brain break to have students get out of their seat and do a little dance. Um, we just did a dance called the noun machine. So they learned about common people, places and things through their dance. And then they recorded their dance and posted it on our platform called Seesaw. So that was a good way for them to learn about um, common nouns. Um, for science, I also incorporated this activity using a water table. That was back um, when I taught preschool. And I think it could work for the upper graders as well. They would just I would just put a bunch of ocean animals in the water table and then students would pick out a few animals and we'll just have a discussion about oceanic animals. Where do they live? How are their habitats? Or what animal is this? So it's really fun to see the students identify the animals while engaging in hands-on learning. And of course, I really love Play-Doh. I think it's super fun. And I think um, I really want to try to make each student in my classroom a bag of their own Play-Doh just because we can't really share materials right now. And then from there, you can you can do a lot of things with Play-Doh. I've seen teachers build shapes. You can make letters. And then you can even make the 3D shapes so they can learn yeah. on those geometrical figures. So the endless possibilities of Play-Doh. You just never know. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. I just, uh, last month, I was trying to teach 3D shapes versus flat shapes. And 
it is a very abstract concept if you don't have actual 3D shapes with it, if you don't have a sphere or a cylinder with you. So as you can imagine, that's where that hands-on learning, that Play-Doh comes in handy. And so I had to, yeah. I had families and households like, all right, this is how we want to teach this lesson. Let's get some actual 3D objects. Let's get an actual, a toilet roll is, is a cylinder. And so, yeah, that's, and going back to uh, the whole 3D and tactile learning, yeah. hands-on learning. And yes. I hope, uh, I, I like the part you said about you had the, the students upload the videos on Seesaw. I hope those uh, those videos end up on the school yearbook. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're very enjoyable to look at. I think I might make a slideshow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we live in a world where we're constantly learning by touch. All job professions have some kind of aspect where there's hands-on learning and lots of workforce where the employees, you can have them maintain, troubleshoot, repair, and operate equipment, whatever environment they are. And, you know, even industries that rely heavily on electronic devices, such as computers and cameras, it's all hands-on. And of course we have other professionals where duh, it's all, it's all hands-on, like, like the medical field. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want a surgeon performing on me who has have had no hands-on experience whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if we have adults in the workforce, you know, doing day-to-day operations with hands-on, you know, it only makes sense that we have the same situation, same opportunities for students in school. Let's give them, you know, hands-on experience. It's like how an infant or a toddler, they explore the world around them by, you know, touching everything or, in most cases, putting everything in their mouth. So that's, that's how they learn. You know, they, they figure out what's safe, what's not safe. This tastes yucky. This tastes yummy. This is cold. This is hot. Like, ouch, this hurts. But that's, you know, that's how they learn. The, they put hands in their mouth. They, they put stuff in their mouth. They touch everything. And that's their, their hands-on experience for them. How, uh, how important is it for, to provide like these hands-on experiences for, uh, for all your students? Um, I think it's very important, especially, um, I know we talked prior about my experiences growing up in the classroom. I just don't remember any hands-on experiences at all. I just remember a lot of the materials and the content, um, being taught on, through paper and pencil. And I think that's fine once in a while, but it makes the material and the content less engaging for students. So I think it's really important that teachers try their best to provide these opportunities for students, especially since multi-sensory techniques are so broad. There's just so many options you can incorporate into your curriculum, whether it be kinesthetic, uh, visual, or tactile. So I feel like there's so many opportunities for students to engage in these hands-on learning. I know, unfortunately, um, the pandemic kind of hinders a lot of these opportunities because in my district, students are not really allowed to touch anything or share anything. But I feel like there are ways to go around that, especially if you can find resources that you can send home and let the parents know so they can engage their students at home. So yeah, I think it's really important that students have these opportunities to engage in hands-on learning. And I feel like there's just so many ways for them to get these resources. I know the pandemic just makes it so hard. Like I just want to give everyone these art materials and <laughs> they could do, go all crazy and be all messy at their desk. But it's just been really hard because we can't really share materials. So but we try to find ways for them to really um, engage and be present in the meaningful curriculum that we're teaching them. So I think it's very important. Uh, so I mean, so you could, uh, you could was, you know, promote some kind of independence when you have the students create their own materials or create their, yeah, their own materials that they need for, for the lessons. It's kind of what's happening with, with my kiddos. I haven't, again, I haven't create the own materials, I haven't create their own like flashcards, create their own whatever, answer keys and, and shapes that we, that we use for, for later on in future lessons. Yes, definitely. So helpful. 
And hands-on learning gives students practice. You know, it goes way above the just the attention-grabbing uh, opener that you have of any lesson plans. You know, would you rather watch me ride a bike or would you rather practice riding a bike yourself? So there's a whole hands-on learning right there. And you know, it's, it's, it's awesome having these attention-grabbing activities. But you know, let's also give students a chance to try these activities as well instead of watching. You know, instead of watching or reading, let's put you know content to the student's hand and give them another way of learning. Kids are, children are just curious by nature. I mean, I'm still curious myself. And so yeah, that means they're naturally trying to solve problems. They're, they're problem solvers. And so when a problem is presented to them and it's a topic that particularly piques their interest, of course, they're going to want to be engaged and boom, they're all hands on deck for that. And I'm not sure if you've seen this genius ad back in 2005 and early 2005 where 3M set up this promotional stunt at a bus stop in Vancouver, Canada. And basically it was just this last poster case um, was promoting 3M. So they had 3M and I think their product was called Scott Shield. And so the challenge was for individuals that could walk up or stand in line and they would have to try and break the glass and they would have to, and if they broke it, they were successful, they would claim the 500 Canadian, uh, Canadian currency that was inside of it. And this was all done to promote the Scott Shield brand to show how this application made glass stronger and more shatter resistance. And I thought that was a genius marketing, um, hands-on experience, you know, Instead of just showing a regular ad on TV or on our Facebook or even our radio ad, like why not have this hands-on advertisement where people could walk, try and like shatter this glass and see, wow, this glass is really strong. And so again, hands-on experience. And this all ties in back with the example of, would you rather watch me ride a bike or would you rather ride a bike yourself? And so here's this ad campaign that's a great attention grabber, money, everyone loves money. And then this hands-on experience of participants trying their best to shatter the glass and aim that money. Do you, do you consider yourself a hands-on learner or are you one of those lucky ones who can just absorb the, all the information like a sponge? Oh my gosh, I cannot absorb any information <laughs> just by reading. Even throughout my college courses, whether it be undergrad or through my credential program, I just, oh my God, just reading was such a pain. I just could not memorize like everything. It was really dry for the most part. So yes, I am more of a hands-on learner. Um, for example, I'm sure you heard of the RICA, which is the Ooh. reading competency test in California. And I had their practice book and I did read it, but reading that and trying to memorizing that, remember, remembering all that was just not enough for me. It was just like getting really dry. And I know there was a lot of flashcards online. However, I decided it would benefit me more if I created my own flashcards. So I had that tactile experience where I created my own index card and through each competency and section, I color coded it. So I would underline that in my book. So for example, if I underline competency four in yellow, all the vocabulary words from that competency would be in yellow in my next card. So I use kind of like a visual and tactile um, approach for me to remember the content of the RICA. So that was an experience that I had with hands-on learning and it, it worked. I did pass on the first try. So I'm pretty sure if I just read the book and like over and over again, I might've struggled with passing. So I think um, the way I, the technique that I incorporated within studying really helped me in the long run. Yeah, that's uh, for the Rika. I kind of created my own audio book, I guess you could say, where I recorded like, you know, like different competencies. And then I would play it back to myself and I would drive to, to my school site or drive to work. 
um, you know, hearing this stuff was better than just reading it. So, and I guess just hearing my own voice, I guess, kind of helped. I don't know, if I'm, but <laughs> yeah, that's how that's, uh, that's how idea. I did it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good how, idea. Yeah, and so I could technically, I mean, even if I wasn't fully engaged in whatever the the audio that was playing, I mean, it was still playing in the background on my way to work or on my way to school, um, or even just I take my dog out for walks, and so that was my way of studying. And I guess, yeah, it, I mean, it worked out in the end, so that was nice. And, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> and even with with hands on learning, again, I, I think I talked about this a little bit earlier. So I, I try and replicate the content as much as possible. Um, let's go back to that money lesson I had with my with my kiddos, and I could have provided mm-hmm. that fake money, the play coins, but I really, 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 really wanted my students to explore. I get that feeling of what coins feel like. So again, tying back to the whole like long-term goals because when I want them to go shopping and I want them to go buy buy materials on their own, I want them to know what a real coins feel like because if they're just used to the fake or play coins and you know, they might not tell the difference between a penny or a nickel or a dime. And so right off the top, my students, when they got the real coins, they were able to realize like, oh, this nickel weighs more than the penny. Um, of course, they didn't know the exact weight and all that, but they, they just knew like this one weighs heavier than the other one. And fun fact, for those who don't know, the U.S. nickel weighs exactly five grams and the U.S. penny weighs exactly two and a half grams. So uh, there you go. There's a, you can figure out which is heavier and which is lighter. And so when I give students a hands-on experience, it creates that connection like, oh, why is this, this important? I will use coins and bills to pay for groceries, to go for shopping, to buy things that I want, to buy that, that favorite toy. And so we tie everything to the real world. I'll the classroom with hands-on learning and it's a great pathway for that even for ela um when our children are constantly reading text um, i try to have when i was a gen ed i, I try and had my students write their own books and kind of publish it and so back when i was with the fit readers i helped kind of publish their own creations and so they would write their stories. They would do the illustrations. We had this kind of like mass printing system. They, they did the whole binding. They did about the author. They even signed and like sold their own books. And when they sold the books, all the profits went to, it was, it was a school fundraiser. And so that was nice. Everything, uh, everything was in house. It was in house and they were able to see the whole process that it takes to create a book. And all of that was all hands on learning. And so that was nice. They were able to know all the motions of a, uh, how hard it is to create a book and i even had another teacher do something similar but with music so the whole like recording the whole music and writing music and the whole distributing and so again when they were to distribute the music that money again went to uh, the school fundraiser so it was a lot of work but i think in the end it, it definitely uh, paid off students really were engaged they really seemed to appreciate that so city have you ever had an experience where students um let's say they were uninterested and then mm-hmm. you bring some kind of hands-on aspect into it and all of a sudden they they really like it or they understand the concept yes well first of all i want to say thank you for that fun fact about the nickel and the penny <laughs> way i had no idea <laughs> So I guess you do learn something new every day. Yeah. And I also like your ideas with the, the book and students creating their books. It's very creative and very innovative. But yes, um, there actually was an experience yesterday. I was teaching three-digit addition to the students. And that's kind of a hard concept for a lot of students because they just don't really grasp the idea of regrouping very well. And I just learned that heavily on paper and pencil. So I was showing them on paper and pencil in their math journals and I was color coding the numbers in the ones, hundreds and tens place. 
And then I realized it wasn't really working for a lot of students. Like some students can pick up what I write on paper and pencil really quick and other students kind of need another um, experience with that. So when we came back for math, um, I decided to have the students get out their block 10 uh, models, space 10 models. And I use um, models and manipulatives to show the hundreds, the tens, and the ones place. And we were able to add through that method. And I felt like it worked a lot better for those students to have that hands-on experience and to be able to touch the base 10 models and see where is the hundreds place, where's the tens place, and where's the ones place. So I'm really glad they were able to make a connection and understand the concept better. And also, um, I used this app called whiteboard.fi. I don't know if you heard of it, but the students really like using that for math. So I take, I kind of take their student interests um, in regards to math and a lot of them like using the math or the whiteboard, whiteboard tool. So I utilized that yesterday and it made the experience a lot more enjoyable. So instead of a really dry and difficult math lesson, I was able to turn around and make it in a way where students can understand the content and also be engaged and have this meaningful experience with the topic. So it was a great lesson overall. You gotta, you gotta explain. So what is this? Is whiteboard.fi? What is that? Yeah. So it's basically an app where each student gets their own whiteboard. So everything they draw or share, you as a teacher can see it. It's like when the students have their own whiteboards in class and they hold it up and you check Mm. for understanding. This is another way to do that, but it's all digital. So it's really cool. You can just put a problem on your whiteboard and then the students will see it and then they can answer the question. And then there's a lot of tools like you can change the color. You can put emojis. It's a really cool app. I'll send it to you later. It's a great technological resource I enjoyed finding. <laughs> oh, that's good. Can you give feedback to, to the students right there? Like, you know, like a, like a sticker, like good job or nice, you know, nice job answering the question. Can you do that? Yes. Yes. You can write comments on their whiteboard and if you see them... If you see them messing around, you can erase their whiteboard. <laughs> so that's always fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the kids are, what is this sorcery? <laughs> like when all of a sudden you start writing on their, <laughs> their you whiteboard. Even, you can even kick them out of the classroom. Oh. So a lot of features a teacher can have on that app. <laughs> well, even with, uh, you know, going back to the, the hands-on learning, like you could even promote, you know, student independence and creativity. Uh, again, this is a great gateway for this. And, if you give students the materials and let them express their own mastery of the content, whatever way they see best fit, depending on the student, you know, I always appreciated the teacher or even just yeah, the college level professor who allowed the option of completing an assignment however I want it, you know, whether it's PowerPoint presentation, video, audio, or you know, for those uh, dramatic people out there, you can even act it out through a skit. And so creativity doesn't all have to be about the teachers. I know us teachers are creative individuals, but if students are creative as well, they can they give them that chance. And so it varies mm-hmm. from student to student. Uh, some students yeah, some students might need a little bit more scaffolding than their peers. And sometimes uh, students require more guidance and modeling before you know, we let their hand go and they do the hands-on experience, so, for example. So... There are these educational breakout games um, where we have students problem solve different tasks. And for certain students, I would first model how to solve certain problems. I would show them to solve one way and then, all right, now it's your turn. Try and figure, you know, try and solve this out. Uh, Try and figure out another way how to solve it. And this creativity is all about encouraging students to develop new ways of thinking about something. Again, collaboration is... And born here, whether collaborating with their classmates, whether they're collaborating with me in a one-on-one or a whole group setting, 
creativity really goes hands in hand with collaboration. And for math, mm-hmm. I think, uh, I hope they taught you this at, at Cal State Fulton, but there's this jigsaw activity where students, they, they split into groups and each group becomes an expert in that part of a topic. And so they create some sort of visual representation of that topic. And they have each member from that master group go to another group and they learn and they take notes on what they learn in those groups. Um, of those other master groups, and then they report back to their main group and they share what they learned at each at each, at each other group. And it's always nice to see how you know other classmates, other classmates, and students solve problems. Um, it doesn't always have to be just about how the teacher solves it. It's nice for students to see, oh, my friend solved it this way, or hey, you know, this other student solved it this way. It's nice for them to collaborate and share the how they get different problems, how they get different answers and solutions. So. Mm-hmm. One student might learn a different strategy at solving problems that the teachers didn't cover or you know, didn't even think about. And this strategy might really connect with that student. Do you ever, do you have a lot of collaboration or, you know, group work with hands-on learning? Um, um, I think it's super important that students do get those opportunities to foster collaboration because you just, it's just amazing to see how much you can learn from one another. So I think that jigsaw activity you mentioned was a really good idea. I think I did have a similar experience um, doing that activity while in my coursework. It sounds really familiar. I felt like we did a lot of group work (laughs) back before the pandemic. But unfortunately, with the pandemic, it's just really hard to foster the collaboration and the group work just because in my district, students are in individual desks with their plexiglass and they're really not allowed to get up and sit with each other. And it's kind of sad. (laughs) But um, one way I try to foster collaboration, especially during hands-on learning, as I'll give them an opportunity to talk to one another, especially during math when they're doing hands-on learning using manipulatives. I'll have the students talk to each other and show each other what they created on their math work mat. So that's one way I try to foster collaboration. And then I did mention before we did the now machine dance. So in class during our breaks, we would have practiced that dance. So I just give a students opportunity to stand up and be next to a partner near them and they do the dance together. And while they're doing the dance together, they're singing it. And that song has a lot to do with um, common nouns, which are people, places, or things. So throughout the dance, they're also learning and they're dancing together. So really trying to get them to make connections with one another. Because like I said, it's just crazy to, to learn from each other. And there's just so much you can learn through collaboration. So I really wish this pandemic is over soon. So the <laughs> kiddos can be near each other again without a mask. But I think we're doing the best we can. And especially with our students at home, we don't want them to be left out as well. So when we're doing some collaboration or some group work, I would encourage those students to unmute and talk to each other or type in the chat. So I'm really trying to provide opportunities for both students to engage in community and collaboration. This is uh, this is a lot of dancing in there in your class. I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> oh my gosh. They make me dance with them too. We have our Go Noodle. I don't know if you heard of Go Noodle, but it has oh, all these yeah. like music videos for kids and they like want me to dance so bad. And I'm like, this is like a workout, guys. I don't know if I can keep up with y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We use Go Noodle too. Uh, what's the color? The the most popular one is the, I don't know if you use, I, mean, I have the young one. So we use uh, the Maximo, uh, the, that's the Max Arena and the... Here's the other one called the Max Arena. There's we do head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Oh, that's um, fun. Uh, yeah, so again, there's yeah, like, Go Noodle's a great app. <laughs> yeah, there's a kid's um Bob Bye 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 um by NSYNC on there, and I love seeing them do it. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I just the, the other one we do is the yeah the other one we do is the the chicken dance and it's always uh you know I, I teach from school uh, our um, our district is still doing distance learning so you know I'm in the classroom by myself but it's always uh I'm sure if, when the custodian walks on yeah. by and he sees me doing the chicken dance into a com- the computer it's, I'm sure it's a funny sight. Um, <laughs> So yeah, funny. he's probably like, who's um, this crazy guy? <laughs> <laughs> so this, I guess, so this leads us to the, the, the next topic, and that's about technology for hands-on learning. So this has been more in the forefront ever since the COVID-19 pandemic. And you explained earlier, like, you know, sharing materials is no longer an option. And so we have distance learning and all these other safety protocols, whether it's social distancing and mask and face shields uh, that makes hands-on learning a bit more difficult, but you know, this is where technology can come into play and people often associate you know, relying too much on technology in the classroom as being a negative, but I don't. In today's age, we rely a lot on technology and it's constantly evolving, so we need to evolve as well. And I use technology to help mm-hmm. with the students' creativity and certain aspects of hands-on learning. And I know with technology, there is an infinite amount of ways that students can showcase their mastery of the content stuff that's you know beyond just presentations you know you can have the video presentations and there's all these video editing softwares and there's even situations where i had some teachers they had their class create podcasts or an audiobook they just record their audio or a voice recording um of their lesson or of their responses or like of their reading comprehension and, you know, when teachers are taught to be flexible, you know, we need to do the same thing with our students. You know, not, not everything goes according to the book for teachers. So not everything's going to go according to the book with a student. So technology can be another avenue of a flexible learning environment where everyone can participate no matter what abilities they have. And I strongly believe in the low floor, high ceiling method where students of all different levels can step onto this platform. And the high ceiling means that students can take this concept and adapt it as high as they want to, depending on their content level and, and how challenging they really want to make it. You know, the, the higher the ceiling, the, the more challenging it is. And so I really, I really view technology as, a, as an ally for this. What are, um, what are some ways that you use technology for hands-on learning? Oh, well, I try my best to incorporate the best educational technology resources that I think could benefit my students. And so far, everything that I've incorporated with technology has been working very well. I introduced this platform called the Padlet. So Padlet is kind of like a digital bulletin board where students can share their ideas um, on a digital post-it note on a various on various topics or specific topics that we talked about. So um, I did that activity when we did science. We learned about different ty- types of habitats, such as the Arctic habitat and, and the desert habitat. So from there, students used the Padlet and I asked them to share one thing you learned about the habitats, um, for example, Arctic habitat, and they would just post it on Padlet and they would share um, animals that live there, such as polar bears or Arctic fox. And like they would talk about the temperature. And then with that tool, all the students can see what everyone is sharing so that they, they can use it as a resource to help them when learning about the habitats or any topic. So we use what they wrote in the Padlet for them to research on a Google Doc. So we, I also utilize um, Google Docs in my classroom. And I think that's been super fun. It's been really great seeing all the students use a Google Docs for their writing. And then we also taught them Google Slides this week. So I thought that was really hands-on because they were able to pick a topic and then they were able to choose pictures and visuals to incorporate in their slides. And we also had, um, we also gave students opportunity to present their Google Slides. So that was really fun for them. 
Um, another technological tool I use, I mentioned before the whiteboard. Um, students absolutely love it. They just enjoy having a digital whiteboard. <laughs> and I've, I've been only using that for math, but I really want to incorporate in other disciplines as well. And then we also upload all of our work on Seesaw. And then students sometimes would auto record themselves um, going over the activity. So students have been really enjoying um, using that voice recording as a way to um, have an audio, audio experience with hands-on learning. And yeah, I just love technology. I think it's been super helpful, especially during this time. And I don't really have anything bad to say about it, except it could get out of hand. But so far, <laughs> everything we've been doing with technology has been going well. And it's just to keep up with all this fast paced society that's also technology driven. So I think it definitely has its benefits. Oh, sounds like you're the go-to person at your school then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do have trouble like sharing my screen and doing the projector. Like that kind of scares me. But I think teachers just have to juggle so much and learning all this technology is pretty hard. So um, I admire all the teachers dealing with this right now. And <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I have... I have students who are shy and mm-hmm. even if we're looking at students who are ELL students or English language learners or even some who have certain disabilities like maybe autism or dyslexia, then we can also use technology for communicating and help them understand more abstract concepts. And I'm not, not saying that technology is strictly for students with special needs um, or that need these accommodations, but everyone can benefit from hands-on technology. Technology is very engaging, especially with gamification, where you, you gamify content, you make it fun. And again, using technology for collaboration. And I know we rather collaborate in person. Um, yeah. Person next to us, but given the current circumstances, given the current circumstances that we have, well, technology also allows us to collaborate in other ways that you know we're not seeing possible. And like you mentioned, Padlet. Um, yeah. I like how you mentioned another whiteboard, um, that other whiteboard uh, application you have. I ha- I've heard of another application where, I forget what it's called, but um, basically, again, digital whiteboards, but students can raise their, I guess, their digital hand, like there's this icon they click, and then students can help out another student in their class. If the teacher's busy, I'm working, you know, with with Tommy on this problem right here and Juliana needs help. And one of the students who's finished early, they can help out the student on their digital whiteboard. And you know, that's a, that's a neat, we always call class kick. That's what's called it's class kick. And so um, that's another way of collaboration. So, you know, I, I think that's neat. And do you see any downsides of using technology as a, you know, as a type of hands-on learning? I think it, it's, it's pretty scary to think about using technology just because I feel like, students can really go down the wrong path or be off topic when using technology. So I think really setting those expectations and laying down the ground rules while utilizing technology in the classroom is really important. But as far as downsides, I think I see more positive because I, especially during this time, we really need to depend on educational technology and it's been super helpful during um, student teaching in a pandemic because there's just so many resources readily available and accessible to students during this time. So I think it's been really helpful. I know I play a lot of videos before I explain concepts. Um, I like using Brain Pop and Brain Pop Junior. My mm. kids really like that. It's really fun. So if I find a sp- specific topic I want to talk about, I try to find a Brain Pop video for that. Of course, Go Noodle has been saving us during our little mental break. <laughs> so using that tool has been really fun as well. 
And also, if I know concepts that I'll be teaching may be difficult, I sometimes would record a video of myself doing the lesson or explaining in depth so that students can look back at it on Seesaw and look back at it if they need support on it. So it's been really helpful. Um, Can't say too much about the problems like (laughs) being on mute and sharing my screen. Those are a little annoying. (laughs) But I feel like we're all learning here. And it's been a crazy experience with technology. But at the same time, it's been also very helpful. And it's also a way to have students engage and really um, be hands on in the learning. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, being, the whole thing about being on mute is always funny. Uh, you know, always have to constantly remind myself to push the unmute and unmute button. I wish there was something like, uh, you know, like you, you know, we have like the wireless clickers when we're doing our, you know, PowerPoint presentation. I wish there was something like that where I could just click it and, you know, unmute and mute myself. Is, right. And, uh, just constantly you know, forgetting to unmute and unmute myself. And, yeah, I, I don't. I, I see the positive, positive uh, benefits of technology, and I know that relying solely on technology for hands-on, it, and it, it could, it does have a, it does take away certain skills that we want our students to work on. You know, there's a whole debate of uh, with older kids, you know, dissecting a real animal or using technology like augmented or mm-hmm. virtual virtual reality to dissect an animal. Animal, and it all really depends. Um, yeah, there's pros and cons to both sides. Like even, you know, what's it called like like cadavers, like even those who are in the med fields, like right now, like they have new like augmented reality cadavers that they could do. And it's neat. Um, yeah, it's less expensive. I see the benefits of it. It's more accessible. And even having virtual field trips are neat because, you know, we might not be able to afford or go to a local zoo or the local science center, even just because of the pandemic that's going on. So there's that way that technology comes in play with that. And with that being said, I mean, is there, as we wrap this episode up, is there any advice that you would give to new teachers or those even thinking about entering the field of education? Well, I would say congratulations. You're on the right <laughs> path because teaching is amazing. Obviously it has, it's challenging, but overall it's such a rewarding career. So I would like to encourage those pursuing teaching or elementary education just really give it to your all and your passion should be with the students. I know it's not ideal to be um, teaching behind a computer screen and there's just so many difficulties and struggles with this online virtual learning. However, you should give your all for the kids. So I think that's really important. Um, Obviously, this profession, it can be stressful. It can be tiring. I know I come home every day. I want to be in bed by nine. But if you see, if you have a strong passion with working with students and you find joy in seeing them grow and to reach their potential, I just, I believe this is a career for you. Um, Also, being in the teacher community is one of the greatest and supportive groups of individuals I've ever been a part of. I started my teaching Instagram almost about almost a year ago, not really thinking much of it, but here I am making these wonderful connections with everyone and we're in this together. And um, I just want to say I admire all the teachers, student teachers or aides or paraprofessionals or anyone going through this and powering through this. It's very admirable for what y'all are doing and we're in this together. And I know we're going to come out of this situation very strongly and I'm so proud of you. Go teachers! (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I want to say thank you to today's guest, Cindy Ma. Um, Thank you for being a guest on today's podcast. And I want to say thank you to all the listeners. See you next time.